Hello and welcome to 3 and 2, a match play Age of Sigma podcast for people who are deeply mediocre at match play Age of Sigma. I'm your host Laura and I'm joined as usual by Matthew. Hello. And by Rich. Hello. Deeply mediocre feels like a compliment at this stage, <laughs> to be honest. So. so yeah, today we're going to be talking about our adventures at Blackout, which is a two-day match play Age of Sigmar tournament at Firestorm Games in Cardiff that I think we'd all been to at least once before, but we all went mm -hmm. to this time. So I guess our aim was to live up to the podcast name and go three and two. And I will say, minor spoilers, one of us achieved that goal. <laughs> yeah. um, and the other two podiumed, baby! <laughs> if you stop listening here, you might believe that's true. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, so we're going to spend most of the pod talking about our games there, but I guess we'll start off quickly by running through some hobby. I'm going to go first because my hobby was completely un-blackout related and so won't seg nicely into anything else, but yours might. So what did I do hobby? I painted some Saurus Warriors. So this is going to be the start of a new Seraphon army, but at the moment it's a one unit army, but yeah, I'm quite happy with the Saurus. For the listeners, Matthew is shaking his head in a way that suggests he firmly disapproved. <laughs> but yeah, I really enjoyed painting them. They were really fun. I've just had some Agridons arrive in the post today, so they're going to be my next project. I'm excited to paint them. Nice. Which, what hobby did you do? So I think last time we spoke, I was frantically painting Cruel Boys for Blackout. I did paint a load more Cruel Boys. I got up to a thousand points. I have also played a game with them. But... Then I decided to exercise some amount of self-care and not try and paint another 30 models in a week before the event. So I instead painted five Blight Kings and a Lord of Afflictions and a Rockbringer Sorcerer uh, and an Endless Spell for my the list I did end up taking, which was a Magic Inlist. So, still still quite a lot. Yeah, I, I sort of rushed them a bit, slapped some, slapped some speed paints on them, you know. They're Snurgle, it doesn't matter if they look messy. Um, they look really good. I thought they were nice. Thank you. They weren't nice. No. They were Nurgle, you know. They well, were very yeah. gross. Disgusting, you might say. Yeah, so that's what I've done. Oh, and now I'm painting Soulblight. I'm back on a Soulblight train and doing stupid things like painting stripy robes on skeleton warriors. So, yeah. <laughs> you gotta love it. Don't shake your head, Matthew. It's a silly move. I know it is, but you know. Well, it's only like 20 of them. The they don't all have to have stripy ropes. Each skeleton can be unique and different. But it's not any easier. Or chevrons. <laughs> <laughs> but if you get bored, you can just stop doing it. It'll be fine. Yeah, true. How about you, Matthew? I painted three Sylvaneth Wildwoods in a week. Ugh. <laughs> so many trees. It's a lot of trees. It's fine. It's done now. Really enjoyed yeah. watching you haul around that box of trees all weekend, looking miserable about owning it. So, yeah, it's not too bad, really. I'd like, I like that aspect of the army. Like, I think it is the best implementation of faction terrain in the game. Makes a lot of sense thematically. They're quite nice trees to look at, and if I'm playing at home or going to a mate's house, I can do like a wood board. If I'm not playing Sylvana, so it's like free, free extra terrain. It's free real estate. <laughs> and you did use almost all those trees at the weekend, right? It wasn't wasted hobby. 
Yeah. Yeah, the, I, I got two woods down every game, and I, I got three down one, I think. Cool. Did you use the pieces on like a rotating cycle? So that no. you, you knew you'd use them all at one point? <laughs> no. Do you have a favourite one that's the best painted? No, it's whatever comes out of the box first. And then getting them back in the box is hell because there's only one way it all goes back in and I don't oh, remember God. what it is. <laughs> Horrifying. Cool. All right, let's go straight in to talking about... So we've, already, we've already got into this a bit, but we should probably talk a bit more about what lists we took and mm-hmm. why. So you just want to keep going, Matthew, and talk about Sylvaneth. Okay. So I've been practicing Sylvaneth a lot. I've been having a really bad time practicing them. I'm just getting smashed by anyone and everyone who cared to play against me. Which I think is we'll probably get into over the event. But I basically got all of the hideous Sylvaneth mistakes out of my system. I still made some pretty heinous mistakes. None that actually cost me any games. So that was nice. So this is a list that actually got informed by the last Battle Scroll points changes. So we talked about what you sort of can and can't do in Sylvaneth. One of the things I mentioned in the last episode was it changes some of the units you could fit in the army. So previously I've been playing with a unit of 10 Gossamids, which is certainly something. Uh, it's not something good, but it's certainly something. And I could now basically directly swap that out for a unit of 6 Kurnoth Swords, which nothing else is a lot easier to use and gives the army like a brick of wounds that it just doesn't otherwise have. It's like 30 wounds with a 3 plus save. Actually, it's quite hard to chew through. But I've basically never died all weekend. I think maybe... No, they didn't die all weekend. So uh, uh, Maybe in our game? You killed them, yeah. Not, I think not you're to the only spoil, person them. Not to yeah, yeah, spoil... Yeah. <laughs> I was trying. I was thinking through the games top. backwards for some reason, but yeah, yeah, I think you're the only person who wiped that you now. But um, what can I say? Yeah. So that was that was a really good inclusion. It made the army just like mentally easier to play. But That's otherwise, great, but they're super tricky, right? Yeah, and again, it's just like another unit in the army that if you fail a two plus roll, does nothing, and it's just nice to have a unit that just does its thing mm-hmm. most of the time. So I think that just made the list a lot easier to play. Otherwise, the list was Warsong Revenant with the, an ability to cast spells through trees, a Tree Lord Ancient who can summon a tree, Spirit of Death who hits things with a sword, <laughs> sometimes. sometimes, six Colonel Hunters, two units of ten Dryads, one unit of five Tree Revenants, and a Tree Lord who is very good, and the Spite Swarm Hive, which is like mandatory for every Sylvan Thumb. You just it's a thirty point thing, you just have like or forty. It's a an amount of points that you just have to take in every Sylvan Army and your army doesn't work if you don't have it. Yeah. And the reason for that is that it gives you bonuses to charge, right? It gives you bonuses to charge and the army is all about teleporting. Yeah. Does it have two options when you it does, power yeah. a unit with it? And just yeah. no one ever uses the other one. I've used the other one. So if you're already so the other op- so plus Spite Swarm Hive is you roll a dice at the end of your hero phase, and on a 2+, plus you can empower a unit, and it can do one of two things. You can give it plus 3 to charge, which is what you do 9 times at the time. Or you can pick a unit, and then incoming enemy rend on that unit is minus 1, which is also an incredible ability, and I have used it in situations where the battle line has already come to my wood, basically, because Spite Swarm Hive, you're casting it. So the army plays very much, you have like a castle that you deploy in your, your backfield, basically as far back as physically possible from the enemy. 
and you deploy in that most of your army, <laughs> apart from like the dryads and the tree revs, maybe because everything will teleport out from that, basically. And the spike swarm hive will sit basically in the middle of that with the war song, ready to empower whatever unit you want to teleport out and be active. So whether that's Durthu most of the time, but sometimes it's the tree lord, sometimes it's the colonel hunters. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's very much like a castle army that projects power in limited ways. So you'll be putting trees down, and you'll be casting AoE mortal wind spells through the trees, and you'll be putting one combat threat through the trees to charge and take something out, and then use the Sylvaneth ability Strike and Fade to run away again back through the trees, which is very powerful, but it makes it a very difficult army to play for primary objectives. That's the army's yes. main weakness, is primary objectives. And that's the thing I struggled with all weekend. Yeah. Um, but yeah. You see some lists now with more units of tree revs, right? Because they also just have an innate teleport. Yeah. So yes. they can just jump onto objectives. But yeah, Even I'd... the deepkin list I played at the weekend had some tree revs to teleport oh, uh, around. They're very good. Yeah. yeah. They're cheap as well. Yeah. Wait, Rich, tell us about your Nurgle. Tell you about Nurgle. Okay, so... Like I said, I was going to bring Cruel Boys. I ultimately settled for not having to paint that much more stuff and choosing something. I don't want, I don't want to be as dis dismissive as just to say push it forward and have a good time. But easier to play. Maggotkin, although I haven't practiced with this specific list, I have used all or almost all of the stuff in it and I can play the army basically on autopilot and it sort of fits my playstyle. So that is that. So it's Magikin list. Subfaction I chose was Blessed Sons, so anything mortal that dies explodes and has the potential to do disease points back to enemy units it's near. My general was Lord of Afflictions, which is the fly character with the now still perennial combo of the overpowering stench command trait to uh, turn off command abilities, which I forgot quite a few times at clutch points. Classic. I did remember it sometimes as well. You never forgot uh, it versus me. No. Well, you know, I'm heavily invested in making your life miserable. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, And the split horn helm artifact, which gives him an innate 4 plus ward rather than 5 up. Had the Lord of Blights, little Blight King character, Rockbringer Sorcerer, who is basically in there because it felt stupid to have no Antorian Locuses. So he had Hawfrost just to try and get that off. I think the Blight Kings, because they're high volume, like single damage attacks with Rend 1, if you get lucky and can make those Rend 3, then they're insane. Or if you can like make them hit or wound on a 2, it massively ups their efficiency as well. So, yeah. or a 1, I guess, technically. But, mm. um, uh, great and clean one with the sword and blade just to be there and be annoying and have another spellcaster final dice and then three units of five blight kings a unit of two Poscal blight lords which is the flies and suffocating grave tide and the spell or as we took to calling it the puke wave because i covered mine in mud and nurgle horrible nurgle fluid <laughs> so most of that was in a battle regiment except the lord of afflictions so it was two drops, and my first drop was always putting the fly in the sky and putting nothing on the board. So, And as I noted, talking to one of my opponents, it actually doesn't work the other way around. Because if you deploy the battle regiment first, you have to put the flies down, because you can't put them in the sky until the Lord of Afflictions is there. So, 
yeah, it has to be dropped that way. But yeah, that was my list. Nice and simple. Not a huge amount on the board at the start, but the Great and Clean one's quite a nice, like, distraction threat. Your whole so. army's pretty tanky, so... Yes, yeah, it all yeah. just refuses to die for the most part, mm. so... How many games did you get choice of first turn being two drops? I think all of them. I think oh, I had well. nice. one where we were both two drops, mm. uh, and then I won the roll-off, I think. I was two drops, so that was probably yes. that game. Yeah, I might have had mm. two then. Mm. I don't think I ever got out-dropped, so, yeah. Cool. Nice. Uh, how about you, Laura? What was your list? What did you take? So I on? took Caradron Overlords, which was what I'd been planning to take for a while. Uh, it's an army I painted a couple of years ago, but I've never taken to an event before, largely because they're a massive pain in the ass to carry anywhere. So I rebased my Ironclad, and then I spent a lot of time stressing about how to carry them, and it ended up with the Ironclad just travelling in a shoebox. But that was actually fine. I didn't. <laughs> I think I broke one Endrin Rigger's flight stand on the way there. But it wasn't the end of the world. They're mostly in a boat. So usually one of them has died by the time we have to get them out of a boat and actually on the board. So yeah, it just about survived. I would still feel quite stressed about taking them anywhere again because it was quite stressful. <laughs> but we did it. They've been to an event. I feel better about that. So the list was an ironclad and a frigate, two units of six Endrin riggers, an Endrin master with dirigible suit, a Arcanaut Admiral who was my general, a navigator, a code right, and two units of Arcanauts. Matthew is shaking his head again, and that's because the code right <laughs> is probably not the optimal choice. So the code right is a small hero that gives you some extra command points and gives you the option to change elements of your Caradron code, which is your allegiance abilities. And they're fine, but you know, they don't do nothing. They were actually quite useful in one of my games in particular, they did a lot, but it was probably fair to say I mainly took them because I like the model and a more sensible pick would probably have been another unit or something or maybe a gun hauler, which is a small ship to jump around and grab objectives with. Anyway, I took a code right. I have no regrets. It was fine. So broadly, the way the army works is I pretty much always put the Arcanauts on the board and use them to capture objectives and then they just die but they've got some points. Everything else goes in the two boats. It gets out at points during the game but it nearly always starts in the boats for mobility and then the Ironclad is a shooting platform and the frigate wants to be charging in and taking the engine riggers into combat and taking stuff out. So I like, it's a really fun list to play because it isn't just trying to be shooty. You have to, most of its shooting is only really works within 12 inches you do have to kind of get in close i want to be using the engine rigs in combat so yeah it's quite fun i'd had a reasonable amount of practice with it so i was fairly on top of rules but i definitely haven't played it to the point where i feel i'm good with the army yet i think it would be fair to say my experience of playing against you with this army is that you you are terrified of it of like it's, <laughs> of the potential of things to go wrong Probably to like the detriment of your actual play. Yeah, it is very easy for things to go wrong, as we will discover yeah. when I talk about some of my games. You know, it, it, it's very easy to put something in the wrong place on turn one, have a boat die, and you lose that boat and everything that's in it, and then you're just pretty stuffed. Mm -hmm. So, it, yeah, I would. It's not, I think people. It's often an army that people are more scared of when they play against it than they should be, I think, as well. I had games when people were really scared to charge the Ironclad, and I was sitting there thinking, if you charge the Ironclad, it's going to die, and you will win this game. But I guess it's always the case that you know what you're, you know. I'm always someone who underestimates what my own army will do, and 
is more scared of the opposition than I ought to be. So that's yeah, so that's, that's such a natural way to play, isn't it? Like I think yeah. everyone up to a certain point thinks like that. There are certain armies I think where I've played enough where I have enough of a handle on the match where I stop thinking like that and I'll actively try to not which I guess we'll come to in the Cool Boys game later. Yeah. <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah, I think it's familiarity with what you're playing against is the big thing. Like yeah. if you've played when I've played against an army a bunch of times before, it's a really different experience than when you're playing against something and all you've mm. read is, you know, articles about how good it is when it wins tournaments or something. And I guess yeah. that will come up in a game you play later as well, right? It absolutely will. Mm. All right. So I guess it's maybe just worth giving a very quick outline of sort of the tournament structure and things. So it's a pretty standard two-day Age of Sigma event, I would say. Five games, three games on day one and two on day two. The pack was very much standard General's Handbook. Do you think there was anything unexpected in there? The, so for each game, you and you get 20 victory points, basically, for a major win, and then slightly less if you get a less good win, I think was broadly how it worked. Yeah. Grand strategies and battle tactics were the sort of tiebreaker things. There were painting prizes, but they're separate from the tournament score. What is one thing else we ought to say? There were, I think, 101 uh, players, so it was yeah, pretty it was, well attended. Yeah, a big one. Yeah. And had, it had, oh, go oh, on. Sorry, go on. I was going to say, there was just one bit of comp across the weekend, wasn't there, which was round four battle plan, spring yeah. the trap. Tomlin, the organiser, clarified that you could only take your own units off the board, which... It's obvious to everyone, but technically yeah. not true yeah. according to the rules in the GHB. So, <laughs> it has now been FAQ'd so that yeah, as well today. It has, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about the scenarios as we go through the rounds, I guess, but there weren't, mm-hmm. it wasn't the super weird ones. It was pretty sensible picks of scenarios, I think. Yeah, they were all yeah good, for the most actually. part, yeah. yeah. And you the event what? generally ran really smoothly. I, d- I don't know about you, but I certainly didn't have any like yeah. wars problems or anything like that. It all seemed to go pretty well. Yeah. So he ran it over Stats and Ladders, which is like a web-based platform that published all the draws and the scores and stuff, and you could look up your opponent's army list. I found that yeah. quite nice. Yeah. Way better, better than, than spreadsheet way better than previous. previous. It did lead to some weirdness with seeding because it it didn't quite see the rounds how he wanted, I think, was the impression I got. Yeah, it did true do... Swiss, which is randomness yeah. within the bracket, rather than top of the bracket plays bottom of the bracket, which is the other way that you can That's do like it for tournaments. Default Warhammer tournament way, I would say, yeah. yeah. Which is how I ended up on table one, I think. But <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. All right, <laughs> well, let's just jump into it. Yeah, so yeah. we're not going to talk in detail about all our games because we would be here all night. So we've each picked a few games that we'll talk about in a bit more detail. And then for the others, we'll just sort of give a quick rundown of the flavour of the game and talk about the results. Mm. But I think we are going to start off with a more detailed one because in round one, after travelling all the way to Cardiff, Matthew and Rich were drawn against each other. Yeah. To be fair, we do live 80 miles apart anyway, so yeah. it's still a good opportunity to play a game in person. I think it's an awesome oh. round one. It's a... Not quite as good as, just to go wildly off tangent for, I promise, a very small amount of time. The last event I was at in Bristol, I went with a friend of the mod, Chris Thurston, who was with us at this event as well. Uh, And I gave him a lift there and we played each other game three of day one, which is fucking perfect. Because we just finished the game, go home. (laughs) 
<laughs> Ideal. Yeah. Yeah, that's just if more TOs could do that for me in the future, that would be sick. Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yes, round one. So this was Fountains of Frost, which is a battle plan that exists. Yeah. I uh, need to look this up in advance. Five objectives, four objectives. The main thing is if three or more units are contesting any objective, there's a chance of them all taking some more wounds, right? Yes. This basically never came objectives. up. It might be six, got three yeah. along the border yeah. of your territory. We do, yes. Six objectives, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're the pros. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, it did come up in my game quite a lot, the thing where if there's three or more units contesting I think we... partly because my opponent forgot about the rule and set up most of his army on one of the objectives and then had to unpack them quite quickly <laughs> that's so beautiful we forgot about it, it but it, it only came up matters. like once I think yeah it, wouldn't, yeah it would not have changed the outcome of the game at all. No. I think it would have done maybe like a mortal wound to a noble unit at one point who cares yeah big one yeah uh, so I'm not very good at like remembering bat reps turn by turn. I've got, uh, have, I've got some notes, so I'll have you as well. I've got I've got my tabletop battles record. Shout yeah. out to Goonhammer's tabletop battles app for making tracking all the complicated stuff in Age of Sigmar and modern 40k comparatively easy. Um, it's so good. Yeah, it did. Uh, it did slightly yeah. fail us this game, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that was us. It was user error. Uh, it was. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. If you've got some notes, Matthew, I'll I'll just chip in. Yeah. So sort of an interesting one because we're both armies with like a limited selection of units that can go and do things on the board, and as yeah. a six objective scenario, it's not. It's probably more ideal for me than it is for you, right? Because when you move a unit somewhere, that's kind of where it is for the rest of the game. Yeah, uh, and that I think came up in quite a big way, but like early on, it was uh, incredibly quiet. Like I basically did nothing turn one. I think Spite Swarm Hive failed, so I didn't do any teleport attacks. You basically just shuffled up and did nothing. Just like yeah. we both just scored five points, four points maybe, because we weren't getting one two more. We were just getting one two. Yeah, I think uh, I again, invested it. Unbinding Spite Swarm Hive that turn because I didn't want you to teleport yeah. at me if possible. Right. Yeah, so it's happened a few times over the weekends as Spite Swarm Hive does fail you, even if you don't cast it, there's a one in six chance it just fails to work anyway. So, yeah. one of the things I've been learning with Sylvaneth is just like living with that and yeah. having learning to play around the game with that failing. It's just something you have to do. Yeah. So, I what think, I did. Um, Sorry, Karen. No, no, go for it, go for it. I was going to say, because you've got Unleashed Swarm of Spikes and like your tree placement as well, it is, for your opponent, interesting choices, like what to unbind, or what to try and unbind, rather. Because... Yeah, so I think some of it was out of range of unbinds and one, but some of it wasn't. So Yeah, that's... So one thing I did this game, I didn't really do at any other point, but I think it worked quite well, this game, was I made a little castle of... Dryads, so I had like a U shape of dryads on one of my objectives, sat wholly within nine of a tree, so they were minus one to be hit and wounded. And then behind them, but within three inches of half an inch of the front of them, if that makes sense, I had a tree lord and then a tree lord ancient as well. So anything that Rich put into that little castle would, on a three plus, be made to strike last. And then the tree lord punches it. The tree lord has an ability that if it hits you with any of its melee attacks, you can't pile. 
So what that castle basically did was terrify you for most of the game into not committing your army in any kind of major way. You sort of flirted <laughs> with that side of the board. <laughs> I was scared of that castle, for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, and at the same time, I had a unit of tree revenants that basically was just swapping which back corner of your deployment it was sat in. Which I think forced you to try and charge a unit of flies, and then they failed that charge, so they were just sort of sat there holding their dicks yeah. for a round. And then they just, the tree revs teleported out again. And I think that, for me, in terms of how the flow of the game, that kind of determined it. Because when sort of two major things happened to me, and I don't know if you feel differently, but this is sort of my recollection of the game, is that one, I broke my castle to try and go all in. So I put the tree lord in, I put the tree lord engine in, I put the spirit of Durthu in, and I just completely bounced. Like Durthu did genuinely zero damage. Yeah. Trilo did nothing, Trilo Ninja did nothing, and I was sort of jammed in combat with you then. And then over the course of the game, that flank would then disintegrate. Like, Durthu did a stroke and fade and got out, but the other Trilos were basically stuck at that point, and they just got ground off over, like, two or three turns. So eventually you just, like, won that flank. So the, st the story of the game really was... I think we got equal, prior, equal primary points just from, like, trading objectives. But what you couldn't do was like commit your army in any major way to just table me because the second yeah. you moved your great unclean one off your own backfield objective, you knew that tree revs would be on it instantly. Yeah. So the the great unclean one kills my colonel thunsets, which is very sad. But oh, it did well. He he did very well because that that was an impressive round of killing as well. But he was then just stuck where he was for the whole rest of the game, not not yeah. really doing anything. So that was big. The four-inch move is so fun. So actually, it was an incredibly close game. Like, you would... If you looked at the table at the end of the game, it looked like you'd smashed me off. But what really ultimately happened was we drew on primary points, and uh, you dropped... I got one more on primary, actually. Okay, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. close enough, close enough. Yes, because you held, you started holding one of my backfield objectives, so you were scoring yeah. one two more, and I was just scoring one two in the last turn. Whereas I think you dropped two battle tactics, and I just dropped. I didn't. Uh, I dropped any. I, I dropped one. I dropped one. Dropped, you dropped one, which was final turn, where we sort of talked through it. I, including that yeah. one, I dropped three, and this this I think will be indicative of my performance throughout the rest of the event as well. Is yeah, the slow movement in this. GHB means you have to deploy cleverly for battle tactics, and yeah. I just didn't. Uh, and and our final score was twenty two nineteen to really you, right? So yeah. those two dropped about two of those dropped battle tactics is the difference between winning and losing yeah. that game. And there were a couple again, of clutch yeah. moments that where I just like rolled terrible rolls, but you know, mm -hmm. as I said on the day, the more the higher that number of rolls that went wrong is, the more it's just that's losing a game of Warhammer, like. Yeah. We've all failed one charge that's lost us a game at some point, but I think yeah. at this point it was like a charge and a cast, and no, it was a run and a cast. I literally said, I just need to not roll a one on this run to score this battle yeah. tactic, and then I rolled a one, and I didn't have the CP to auto-run it, because I'd already used that, so yeah. Yeah. That's that's it the is... way, and like, trying to do the the cast, I think you chose Magical Dominance at one point, and trying to do that into Sylvaneth when you have no bonuses is so hard. <laughs> Like, yeah. it's so hard. It's like it's dicey anyway, 
but it's really difficult. Again, that came up a lot over the weekend of just like Sylvan have been quite good at denying that, which yeah. is good. Sylvan have in general, they're quite good at scoring battle tactics. Sometimes it's to the detriment of the overall game plan, which I think will come up for me repeatedly. <laughs> but so I tend to prioritize scoring battle tactics over primary if I can, because uh, it's usually better in the in the long run, unless you're completely giving up primary, which is obviously not good. Yes. Um, yeah. And it counts for sort of tournament tiebreakers and stuff as yeah. well. If you're going to get two points one way or the other, it's better for it to be a battle tactic. Yeah. Well, I think this event actually was just scored on VP, but... Um... You had to put in number of battle tactics achieved. Yeah, so know. maybe it was. Oh, I yeah. don't know. I wasn't competitive enough to be paying that much attention to how it was. I think it, I think yeah. it might have been the second second tiebreaker, and yeah. Drive okay. was the third, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and again, having... And I basically scored my Grand Strat every game. It was like an auto for free one of the Warsong lives, which he does. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's so good for the Warsong. Yeah, and the other thing I think I did, which I'll touch on now, but is over every game, is before this event, because I was struggling with battle tactics in all my practice games, was I just like wrote them all out on a piece of paper. Well, okay, I wrote them all out on a Word document and then printed it out afterwards, but... Um, <laughs> And then just like color coded them with is this possible? If it's impossible, just delete it. Um, and then if it is possible, I write what I need to do to make it possible, how I need to be thinking about my deployment for it. So, for example, surround and destroy, how I need to think about my deployment if I want to score surround and destroy turn one, if I want to score magical dominance turn one, things like that. And then like, thinking through like the rhythm of when I'm trying to score these battle tactics and that made my life so much easier over the weekend like massively so i think if i was going to give anyone any advice if they're going into an event or even just playing like casually it's just like think about your battle tactics in advance and just have them written down and don't be flicking yeah. through little tokens yeah that's really good advice that's a good shout um, all right i'm gonna move us on before we run out of time but is there anything sorry. else you want to say about this game before we do that it's really fun it was a really fun game yeah i felt it felt close as well right up to the end and yeah Matthew scraped it, so one one nil. One yeah, to Matthew, I think I watched the end of it, and it did look very close. So my first game was against Idenf Deepkin. It was a really lovely guy called Paul. Actually, all my opponents throughout the whole event were really nice. So yeah, it was a good it was a good match to start with because I've played against Deepkin a lot because Matthew, you play Deepkin, and I've played a number of practice games against you. So it was kind of good to get something that I knew what I was dealing with. It wasn't two hundred zombies monstrosities or anything like that so we had a turtle he had some eels of both types he had quite a lot of thralls he had lotan which i've never come up against before that was exciting and a <laughs> tide caster yeah, the wizard yeah. yeah and i think he had 10 reavers so he set up really defensively probably more so than i'd expected he sort of castled up behind his ship wreck and he gave me first turn on a I was lots of drops, so I was made to go first in pretty much every game, which is usually fine. There was one game that was maybe less fine. I think I killed a unit of the Ishlayan eels turn one, and more importantly, my navigator had a really good day. So he has a thing he does in the hero phase where he rolls six dice, and for every one, you can pick a unit within 30 inches to take some bottle wounds and be half move. And that was... he affected quite a lot of units with that and against Deepkin that actually hurts quite a lot because they have quite big moves so I was able to slow down his eels I was able to put some bottle wounds on the turtle and that made a big difference so then I think he got a double turn but he didn't do too much with it partly because his stuff had been slowed down so he, because of where the turtle was set up 
he couldn't really move it out when it was half moved because it couldn't get over some impassable scenery. So we had to sort of decide whether to run it or stay where he was and shoot. So that helped quite a lot. He he got a unit of six more Sargard into the frigate, but they didn't manage to kill it in one turn. And then on the second turn, he retreated them out to score an objective rather than staying in and killing the frigate, which I think was probably a mistake because not killing the frigate meant it could just heal up. So Endrin Riggers have an ability where they can heal the frigate, heal a boat they're in, and they can do it at the end of any phase in both players' turns, which is really, really... So if your opponent's got a little bit of shooting, they shoot the boat a bit, and at the end of the shooting phase, you heal it. And that was so multiple times a turn. No, only once per turn. No, okay, but you can choose yeah. any phase, right? Yeah. Sure. Okay. So in this game, I think I probably healed the frigate for at least 10 wounds over the course of the game. It was super useful. Nice. Um, and my shooting was really impactful in this game. I had quite good dice, and also I, you know, I was bang on it with target priority and that kind of thing. So I killed his eels pretty quickly. I think the turtle died charging the ironclad on turn three to an unleash hell, and by the end of turn three, he didn't have a lot left on the board. So at that point, mm-hmm. we sort of mapped it out and figured that I was going to table him pretty comfortably on turn four. Yeah. So yeah, it was really I... nice to start with a win. It was really nice to start with a game in which I felt I knew what I was doing. I didn't have to sort of. I didn't get distracted by mind games and worry whether I could kill things or not. And I think I scored all my battle tactics as well. So it was kind of good to get off to a start and think, right, I do have some idea what I'm doing with this army. It might be okay. Yeah. I find it interesting as a Dukin player, just listening to that, that he castled up, presumably mm. with a screen of Ishlengard, because yes. that sort of undoes the whole point of the Dukin castle, because <laughs> they're not benefiting from your double bonus to save. In turn one, yeah. Uh, I... So turn one, Deepkin get plus one to save from just being Deepkin, and plus one to save from the turtle. And Ishlane guards don't benefit from yeah. any bonuses, so it's very so odd. He, he had an Amati screen as well, but the Ishlane guard were on one sort of corner. So you know, obviously, as KO, you want to target one unit and try and kill yeah. them. So I picked the Ishlane guard and went in on the corner so that I wouldn't be in range of lots of stuff being able to charge me. And throughout the game, I was able to stay out of the way of his thralls for the most part. The thralls mm-hmm. did. He had a unit of twenty thralls that just stayed alive till turn four and then got shot because yeah. I couldn't. They never do me. anything. Yeah, I don't think it was the best deepkin list against KO. I think that have been Royals would have been more helpful. Yeah. So yeah, that was round one. Moving into round two, then. Rich, mm-hmm. do you want to kick us off? Yeah, let's go for a quick one. So this game I played a very nice chap called Oliver from, I don't remember his surname, but from the Plymouth Troll Slayers Club, who seemed to have quite a few people there. Loads of them. Loads of them. They were all really nice as well. Nice gang from the people I talked to, at least. Oliver was running Kotal's Claw, Seraphon, so the minus one damage to Saurus stuff. He had... Like two blocks of six Agridon Lancers, big block of Tynosaurus, a like an Agridon hero, two Skink Star Priests on the, the little plinths, and you know, that might have been it. I feel like I'm missing something, but they are quite points heavy, the Agridons. Yeah, that's what I remember it being anyway, and the, the broad gist of his list was that he's got Agrodons, he's fast, he's got loads of stuff that can make hero phase moves and the skinks can each they each have an ability to give something a 5 up ward for a battle round well, for in a hero phase to the next hero phase and it's the number of units equal to the battle round you're on 
So if you do it in battle round three, you can pick three units in your army. And the way it's worded, because he's got two, he could do it twice. As long as the, they stay alive, obviously. So his game plan basically was to ward up Agrodons and charge them into my face. I'm kind of okay with that, being a Magikian player. So turn one, he got a big block of Agrodons into my great and clean one. And I think I gave him first turn to do this as well. And he also got the other block of Agrodons in, like, to a unit of Blight Kings on a flank. They killed most, but not all of those Blight Kings, which is the thing that happens a lot. People go like, oh, it's just five guys, and it's like 20, 21 wounds with five up ward and a four up save, and they just don't die. <laughs> the Great and Clean one killed quite a lot of the ones that charged on the other side. This scenario was limited resources, where mm-hmm. if you hold an objective that you held in your previous turn, I think is a specific yeah. wording of it, yep. then it effectively taps out for you to use. So it's super both... easy to fuck up. Like yeah. this is the this is the trap scenario in this GHB. You can fuck this so badly. So we both tapped we both deployed on our two back objectives. That's how you do it. He charged off them onto mine, which meant he actually took one of them off me for it, but then I could score it back. So I think I got maybe like an extra point or two out of my back objectives. So my secondary, my primary scoring in this game was three, 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 three. So I held one, two or more and more every turn. And Oliver's went three, three, one, one, nothing. So because he tapped out his back objectives, but he'd come forwards and then I sort of managed to stop him. Apart from right at the end of the game, he summoned a unit of chameleon skinks that was also in his army, half a unit of munchies hunters, I think it was, into the the back field. Did you do that in the final turn? Uh, no, it would have been battle round three, I think. Okay, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, they have to be on the board by round three, otherwise they're yeah. dead. Um, basically, though, broadly, the story of this game, because we should move off it fairly quickly, is I killed his stuff. He didn't kill much of mine. <laughs> he did, like, chew through some stuff, but he attritioned way worse. And His bet round one sounds like a pretty major mistake, I think. Yeah. I'll talk about he... it when I when I borrow mine, but I think there's, like, a way to play this scenario, and that's yeah. not it. He, he moved his character back in the hero phase at the start of the turn to score magical dominance, and then I tried to score it in return and just, like, fucked up. So it's another game of fucking up magical dominance for me. But other than that, I got quite clever. I used, like, I let him charge me, and then used the stratagem to get stuff away from the Nalmor. That's the battle tactic to get stuff out of range of the Nalmor in Nurgle turn, which is just, like, three points if you can kill something. And a few more things like that. So I scored four in my five battle tactics. I tabled him other than nice. Chameleon Skinks, which we were just like, well, they're never going to do anything else. I think I tabled everything else in turn four. And won 26-14 at the end. A really fun game. Really nice yes. opponent. Another sort of good bit of fun. Laura, how's your game? So I played... I don't remember everything in this list, but it was two vermin lords of different varieties, two grey seers, Thankful, and a lot of clan rats. Yeah, he took first turn. He was the only person who took first turn against me, and it was entirely because he wanted to do magical dominance when he was out of unbind range, which he did. Mm. But I'm not sure that was worth an entire turn for. But broadly, the story of Caradon Overlords against Skaven is that they have really bad saves, and I have a lot of rend one shooting. So broadly, uh... I just shot lots of things. I think I got a double 
from turn one into turn two, so I killed a lot of clan rats and I committed to killing his more fighty vermin lord. I don't know what their names are, I'm sorry. So I, yeah, I shot it a lot and then I charged a frigate in and kill it, killed it with the frigate impact hits, which was fun. And I think he kind of had a thing where he he couldn't, he struggled with his the stuff he had to simultaneously score and do damage to my units. So what kept on happening was that Thanquil and his other vermin lords, rather than trying to kill my stuff, had to be teleporting around the board to get battle tactics or go on to objectives. So he scored okay for a few turns, but he wasn't really killing anything meaningful. And on my turn, I was killing something meaningful every turn. So I think by the end of turn four, I'd killed everything except for Thankful. But I don't know there was a massive amount he could have done about that, to be honest. I think it was a really favourable matchup for me. Yeah. You know, he knew he knew his army pretty well. He did a lot of Skaven struggle with, I don't think their book battle tactics are very good, so he was doing a lot of sort of careful thinking to try and score the General's Handbook ones. And if, Because he had a lot of units, he had a lot of sort of different things to try and do that with. So stuff like Surround and Destroy was very feasible with gnaw holes and stuff that he could teleport around with. But it did mean that yeah, his units weren't always optimally placed for anything else. Yeah, the scenario was interesting. I don't I definitely didn't play it perfectly because I started off not deploying on objectives because I wanted to give myself flexibility for what to hold, but that meant my opponent got an easy hold more turn one, so probably deploying on them would have been more sensible. But I think neither of us neither of us ever burnt out to the point where we couldn't score, but we didn't max score it either. I was sort of scoring... I, scored, I think I scored max points for the first few turns, but towards the end I was it was one and more because it wasn't possible to get... I did weren't enough left that I could afford to hold two in any one turn. So we were kind of trying to split it. But it was the first time I played the scenario, so I don't think I messed it up too much given that. So yeah, it's a fun game. And Matthew, I think you wanted to talk in a little bit more detail about your game too. Yeah, so mostly just for lines of communication, which I think is a really interesting battle plan. Um, but you guys have you you've done an admirable job talking about it already. But limited so, resources, not lines limited of communication. Re- limited resources, yeah. Sorry. Um and from podcast. <laughs> Yeah, so this was my game two was versus Tom Reed, who was playing Seraphon as well. It's my first game against Seraphon in a tournament, which is fun. Mm-hmm. He was playing a I think like quite a similar army to what you were playing actually, which this was a coalesced army, Coattle's Claw, I think, the one that gives yep. you plus one to wound when you charge. So he had a slan the skink on the little baby slan chair. The Agrodon Hero, and then Saurus Guard. Uh, a couple of units of skinks, some reinforced unit of Agrodon's, reinforced unit of Croxagore, a Stegodon, and some camo skinks. That's the other thing that my opponent had was six Croxagore. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that list sounded like. <laughs> so they, yeah, they must have copied each other. I did, is they this were, a net they list because it doesn't seem very good. Quite similar. My opponent didn't have a slam. So. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't... The Coalesce Slan, I'm not convinced on. It didn't really do anything. But um, he... We both, we both castled up around our terrain in our backfields. He gave me first turn. I think he was a one-drop. It's happened quite a lot. I faced a lot of one-drops, actually. And I was a two. But he gave me first turn. I sort of brain-geniused myself out of doing magical dominance because <laughs> Slan have board wide unbinds, and I sort of panicked. Whereas, actually, what I should have thought was, like, this is a slam who's just on, like, a plus one. Whatever. Let's just cast one spell and get on with it. What I did instead was a... Because I'd already done the deployment, I then 
wouldn't feel like a panic surrounding de- destroy but hadn't deployed for it and you really you got to deploy for that battle plan yeah battle tactics so i brain genius myself I had two points there and failed that nice. which sucked we had a really quiet early game like another really quiet early game like i think in the game versus me and rich are about around one two not really much happened and exactly the same happened here whereas i warsong bombed him turn one because he key castled up around his terrain for whatever reason. His terrain doesn't do anything, so I don't really know why he did that. But I got a pretty big bomb off into him turn one, and that basically terrified him. So in his turn one, he ran away from the tree. So he was like backboard edging his slan and his Saurus guard, and he was running his Aquadons away from me. And he was doing some quite weird defensive moves that I thought his army wasn't really designed to be doing. And the other thing that happened is because neither of us deployed on any objectives. And like really crucially for him, giving me the turn, him not deploying on any objectives at all meant that I could do a really easy one, two more by just standing on two objectives. And then in his go, if he wanted to match my score, he needed to sit on three to get the one, two more. Yeah. Uh, he also managed to fail his um, battle tactic by rolling a double one on his slam on his first cast. Um, so, fuck you, frog. <laughs> it's perfect. So then he had to try and score magical dominance out of a skink priest, which, spoilers, he did not outcast a warsong rev. Uh, <laughs> and so then he had to sit on those three objectives, and because he played super defensively, he had not tried to engage me in combat at all. When we got to the roll-off, I won the roll-off, and I just gave it him. And at that point, yeah, he's going to score five, because he picked a battle tactic he could do. Cause he was... At that point, he played so defensively, actually surrounding the destroy was really easy for him. <laughs> but it meant that he scored his five, and then those three objectives were gone. And he had two objectives to play for the rest of the game. Which yeah, is like it's pretty pretty savage. A less than ideal situation for him. Whereas I had at that point all of them, and I'd lose two in my turn because he hadn't taken any of mine, uh, and that basically set the rhythm for the game that he could not escape from. Was I just had one more objective I could ever score on him, and that was kind of it. So we got into a. He eventually decided to come and fight me after I pushed my Colonel Thunders into the middle of the board. And then there was a big fight with them, and they tanked so much. They tanked the Croxagore and the Aquadons and the Aquadon hero coming in. And they were still alive at the end of the game. Um, nice. <laughs> Sometimes people forget they all have a three-up save, right? Like... Yes, yeah. That's not been my experience of running Colonel Thunders, but I was doing it in my very bad living city army, so, you know... <laughs> So that that kind of gummed him up there, and he was running stuff around in my backfield like a Stegodon, but not really in a way that ever really threatened me. And it put me in a position where, because he his castle was not mobile, because his castle was like the Slan, the Skink Hero, and the Saurus Guard is when I eventually got into that, which eventually I'm going to, right? Because I, from my turn one, had a tree in his backfield. And because he'd run away from it, I was free to teleport to it. So eventually I just had Durthu going hog wild, basically, in his his army, in all the squishy bits. 
So he had like a Stegodon live in my backfield at the end of the game, but I played for... I did the most safe battle tactic in the world in my last battle round, which is like charge a hero in the battle line and have it all alive and just charged my entire army into whatever was close to it. It's like, something will live. <laughs> something of this will live. And his his grand strat was a Seraphon one, which is to have more units in his own deployment zone than I had. And Dirthy just came in with a big sword and just like decapitated everything in his deployment zone. I think he had the frog left, and I had most of my army in his deployment zone. And also just all those charges meant anything he had that could have theoretically in interacted with my army in his last turn could not, because it was locked in combat with a tree. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that finished like I mean he scored what he could but it finished like 24-19 because he just ran out of primary basically by the end of the game. We both got our battle tactics because I think there are two armies that are quite good at them But It's nice to hear you talking excitedly about how much damage Dursi did as opposed to bemoaning Dursi failing you which seemed to be the story of most of your practice games. It was my game one as well. I think he he did like four damage all game. <laughs> okay. I, I had at least one turn where I just rolled like didn't even have to rely on my wards against you and rolled a load of saves for like Dursi's six yeah. damage attacks. So... <laughs> You did save them all, it was very sad. Alright, so we all won our games too, which was yeah. very exciting, and it was definitely the high point of the event for most Chris of us. Chris won his as well, right? Yeah, I think not, so. We're not yeah. reporting on yeah. Chris's score overall, but, yeah. you know. Alright, we're nearly bit. halfway through our allocated recording time, and we're not halfway through the tournament, so we're going <laughs> to move on rapidly. So, my, so game three, the scenario was lines of communication which I think is three objectives across the middle. And I think it's yep. the one where you pick one, the person who goes second picks a phase and command abilities in that phase. You have to roll a dice and on a three plus, you might have to spend an extra command point. Yeah. It's quite sad if you're carried on overlords and want to spend lots of, well, actually people always pick the shooting phase and what they should do is pick the movement phase. Top tip if you're yeah. playing against carried on overlords and line of communication. So let's do my game first. It was against Stormcast and it was a Stormcast list that was all of the dragons. So we had the Knight Draconis and then he had lots of dragons. I think he had a unit of four and two units of two. And then he had one unit of Vanquishers, which I think were there because they were very cheap, and a Knight Encantor and a Knight Zephyros. It was, it was quite a tough list for me to play against. I think it was an interesting game. I could Killing dragons was very achievable. So I went first and I killed his, the only setup on the board, his Knight Draconis and then the foot stuff. So all the other dragons were in the sky. So I killed the Knight Draconis, who was, I think, was his general on turn one. And I was able to kill dragons pretty steadily throughout the game. But they were also doing a lot of damage to me. So the big challenge is that they do mortal wounds with their shooting. And that is very effective against me because I have nothing with a ward save. And it can also target the stuff in the boats. It doesn't have to roll to hit. So we can target the stuff in the boats without any negatives. And I had all my Endrin riggers in boats. And they are two wounds each, extremely vulnerable to mortal wounds and die very quickly when dragons breathe fire on them. So, you know, we were trading stuff off. Stuff died very quickly, but it kind of worked out in his favor so he killed my ironclad i think on turn two and um, but i was also finding it quite difficult to score because dragons count for five each on objectives so they're quite good at objective scoring most of my draws are in boats they don't count for objectives when they're in a boat so he was getting more 
points on objectives than I was throughout. Also, I think he did a clever thing where on his first turn, I shot off the unit of vanquishers and then he can bring them back. So obviously he brought them back onto an objective, which set him up well for scoring. So yeah, it was, you know, it was a sort of quite a fun game for three turns, but after that I didn't have very much left and he had enough left. So it was a pretty big loss in the end on points, I think. Mm-hmm. I think if I, if I, you know, got an early priority, I might have had a chance, but I think he doubled me into two and then he won the prior for three and yeah, it was, didn't really have much of a chance. I feel like I might have forgotten to say who my opponent was. He was a really nice man called Malcolm. It was a fun game. We were both very tired. I think I just got hit by a massive <laughs> wave of tiredness halfway through this game. It was kind of at the point of I now have to look up every weapon's profile in case I am remembering it wrong because I no longer know what my army does. So, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have a lot of hopes when I saw the list and I never really felt like I was in with much of a chance of win during the game. But it was, you know, it was fun to play something different and it was... A reasonably enjoyable game. Nice. Matthew, what was your game three? So similar vein, I think I lost this game on list writing. So <laughs> as listeners, if you hear this and you think there was a path to victory for me here, please write in. I was uh, I was against Greg Shelton, who is from there from Team Lit or something. You know, one of those people who used there to win, right? He was playing Legion of Light. He had Nagash, he had a Vampire Lord, he had a Necromancer, he had a Corpse Cart, and he had a hundred zombies. So, Ugh, horrid. Yeah, so the stupid combo here is it's going to come up later in the event, so I'll describe it now. Legion of Night, Vampire Lords have a command, not command ability, a heroic action that is just a teleport, normal nine inches away teleport. They also have an artifact that is plus two to a move, if, uh, plus two to cast if you don't move, and if you're teleporting, you're not moving. They are a Antorian Locus, so they can use all those monkey dice. And also, crucially, they get the Antorian Locus spell law. So that part of how Soulblight Vampires are balanced is that spell law is garbage. But if you have access to Merciless Blizzard, that is a bit different. So the combo here is he can teleport in his hero phase, his Vampire Lord. Blizzard has a 12-inch range, so he will always be able to target something. You can screen it a bit, but if you have my particular army, uh, you cannot. Uh, because you have a very limited number of units, and like realistically, I have three units I can lose to Blizzard and not care too much, and everything else in the army I care very much about. So he teleports, he attempts to cast Blizzard. If he casts it, he does 46 model wins to his target. And if he does not cast it, it does not matter, because in your hero phase, it will teleport away again. So it's completely free. There's zero risk attached to this play at all. It is extremely stupid, and it should probably not be in the game. There's other armies could do this as well. So Gits can teleport in their hero phase as well, via a spell. So again, there's a bit more risk attached to that. And I think Uruk War Clans can do it via the Maniac Weird Knob having Fasten on its pig. But again, you're doing that once. It's not quite the same. This feels like the most abusive version of that particular ability. Yeah. And beyond that, he had a way to make the zombies count as two on objectives. And Nagash gives them a five plus ward. They come back from the grave sites. There's, I have no way to touch what this army wants to do. Also, the battle plan doesn't help because it's three objectives in the middle of the board. And guess where his zombie blob wants to be? It's the middle <laughs> of the fucking board. So, um, yeah, I, I scored as much as I could. I got for a five battle tactics. 
The, the best thing I could say about this game, he was a lovely guy. He actually taught me something about my army that I didn't know. He's played against Sylphaneth quite a lot, because I think he plays against Laurie Huggett Wild quite a lot. He's a, he's a well-known Sylphaneth name. Uh, he taught me that my one of my battle tactics, which I thought you could only score by teleporting units and then charging, you could because of the way it's worded, you can actually score it by charging and then using strike and fade. And that nice. scored me a battle tactic that game, and also in I think at least one, maybe two other games, I scored a battle tactic because of that. So, nice. thank you, Greg, for teaching me that. That's the best thing that came out of that game. <laughs> nice. Well, that's good. And Rich, I think you wanted to say a little bit more about your game three. Yeah. So, my game three, I was matched up against a reasonably well known. At this point, player Hazel Moon, who has recently been picked for England's Six Nations AOS team. Uh, I think sort of at this point, kind of like perennial winner of smaller events and, I don't know, prominent AOS thinker. She has she has a very good sort of competitive analysis blog, which maybe we'll shout out in the show notes. Anyway, Hazel's playing Ogre Moor Tribes. She had a... Frostlord on Stonehorn, a Huskard on Stonehorn, three lots of Stonehorn Beast Riders, and, and a Butcher. So basically my like platonic ideal of Ogre list. <laughs> See, the more tribes also have the more Pot, which interacts in a very annoying way with my battle ta- my grand strategy, which I don't think I've actually mentioned yet. I chose it's called Blessed Desecration, which is a Nurgle one. You pick a piece of terrain that's wholly within your opponent's territory and you have to be holding it in the manner of an objective at the end of the game. If there isn't a piece wholly within their territory uh, you can pick a piece that's anywhere on the board. So it's quite good I think in this pack because a lot of the territory is very big and then on the ones where the territory is small it's really quite small or quite weirdly shaped and you can end up getting to that position where you can pick anything. But obviously, if you're playing somebody who has faction terrain and it has to go wholly within their territory, you then end up with that being like the only thing you can pick, um, which is quite quite irritating. Anyway, it wouldn't turn out to matter in this game. Like, I'm not going to focus too much on the round by round for this, but I did want to talk a bit more about like the play style of this game. So we played using Clock, which I have not done in AOS before, but it's like a big topic of conversation in high-level competitive AOS at the moment. Playing with chess clocks where you basically flick it back and forth, depending on who is like the active player. That was mostly because Hazel wanted to play with it for practice, so there wasn't, like, we weren't really, really focused on time and accuracy with it, especially when it came to, like, my turns, but... I was trying to play in the spirit of that. I have played with clocks before for like other games, but this was new to me for AOS. So yeah, quite interesting. And I found it really like especially given it's game three, day one, quite often a sleepy <laughs> game, really like invigorated me and made like I was a bit worried. Like the short stories I got absolutely stomped in this game. Like the way to deal with Nurgle is to bypass their saves and make them roll as many wards as possible and out control them right and you can do all of those things when you have things that are moving like 14 inches plus a charge and doing more wounds several different ways <laughs> so like i think hazel scoring round one through five was three 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 on primaries and two 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 on battle tactics 
and a grand strat as well. So she scored a perfect game, literally could not have scored higher points, and I scored ten points across the game. So yeah, no no contest really. Uh so I was a little bit worried that maybe I wasn't I wasn't really giving a much of a game in terms of like an interesting competitive game. But I do hope that at least sort of the clock kind of invigorated me into playing like quite directly and hmm. just sort of like stating what you're doing, doing it as effectively as fast as possible. And like although yes, I lost, we basically played like to till the end of the game, I think I got tabled, and then we like tore through one more turn. And but we had like forty-five minutes left on the round timer, at least still, because we'd been sort of playing in this more rapid way, and also just because she beat me really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> like let's let's not pretend it was all because I was hyper invigorated by the idea of playing with a chess clock. But yeah, really really interesting person to play against. I feel like I learned quite a lot about like the attitude of that level of play and ultimately that you can still play like that without being like a horrible person, like or rude or detached. Like like Hazel was always very clear and direct about what was happening in the game, but we also, in my opinion, at least had like quite a nice conversation about Warhammer throughout the game as well. So and it was like friendly so yeah really interesting i have a feeling she matched like some other very competitive player in round one and lost so submarine a bit i i didn't actually check what her final record was but i know that she kind of demolished certainly me and the player in round two and i think she played russ and beat russ in round four as well she did enjoy that a lot (laughs) So she certainly submarined back at least to a sort of winning record. Uh, yeah. yeah, really cool. interesting game despite being a, a brutal loss. Yeah. It's kind of good to know that you found the clock a positive experience because I think if someone asked me to use one in a tournament having never used one before, I would be quite stressed. So it's good yeah. to know that maybe I don't need to be. Because she was just like practicing with it, we didn't spend a long time talking about it, the exact etiquette. Yeah, when sure. do it. I mostly just let her drive. Yeah. And then occasionally I hit it when I sort of knew I should. Like, it's your turn. I'm hitting the thing now. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, cool. So that brings us to the end of day one, I think. So at this stage, Matthew and I were 2 1, and Rich, you were 1 2. Yeah. So but... 3 and 2 was an achievable score for all of us. This yeah, it definitely was. Tournament point. At this point, the t- Show notes say square pizza. Hell yeah! Would anyone Not like to talk about the square pizza? We've developed a habit, right, of every time we come to an event in Cardiff, experiencing another weird, out of sorts pizza venture. Last year it was Slizzer Pizza. <laughs> this year, square pizza. Secret Basically, yeah. in the base. <laughs> square pizza is as it sounds. It's like your classic. Not very Italian pizza takeaway, except they're square and yeah. pretty good. I enjoyed my pizza a lot and you slept get, very well after eating it. So. You get twenty-seven percent more pizza for yeah. you stats nerds out there. Yeah, that's the most important stat of the weekend. I think my top pizza extra. tip is that if you are intending to eat pizza for breakfast, don't get a seafood pizza because you really don't want an anchovy but for breakfast. Honestly, It'll make you sad. 
the that face was... you made after eating one slice of that for <laughs> breakfast was fantastic. Just like absolutely ever. savage. That yeah. was yeah. The other thing that happened in the evening was that they put up the round four draw which meant that we all felt vaguely obliged to pay some attention to what we were going to be doing the next day, which made me a bit sad because I'd generally I... rather not know. Yeah, I know my general's handbook in the Airbnb. Okay. That's not on. And then That's... your draw got changed, didn't it, Richard? You didn't actually <laughs> yeah. end up playing the thing you were <laughs> prepping for. Anyway. I knew how to win. <laughs> yeah. Should we just jump straight into round four yeah. the next morning yeah. then? So... I'll uh, talk a bit more about yours this time, right? So shall me and Matthew just whiz through our yeah. matchups fairly quickly? Crack on. Okay. Uh, well, I'll I'll do two in a row then. I so yeah, I thought I was going to be playing a player with a, a Legion of Night Soulblight Army. My feeling on the matter was, yes, it has the annoying things like the teleporting Blizzard Vampire, but also they've gone one and two so far, so it can't have been that good. Or they can't be playing it that well. Obviously, that's that's probably a bit ungenerous to whoever was piloting that. Uh, they beat me in round five, so we can hear about it. <laughs> we'll see that first. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, well, there you go. So I, someone turned up to my table and said, Wayne? And I said, no, are you whatever my opponent's name should have been, he said, also no. And then Chris came down and said, oh, sorry, I switched a draw around. So I ended up playing John Thompson, who I think is a reasonably seasoned tournament vet of many systems, but was clearly by attitude and his own mission like there to push models around and have fun. Uh, really, really fun opponent. He was playing Ogamore tribes. So two more tribes in a row. He had a pair of stone horns, as characters, a couple of ice brow hunters who can do like deep strike stuff, and one of those is his general. He had Kragnos and some saber tooths making up his battle line. Classic. These are Fedrazin wolves, but actually they're ogre big cats, which is like the way people get around spending fifteen pounds on two bendy resin cats. Yeah, I gave away first turn here. I deployed a little bit more tactically. We were playing round four Spring the Trap, which is like the long, narrow territories. Uh, or, well, I guess, yeah, like the center of the board is territory. Did you outflank any of your units? I did. I took off the Black Kings, a unit of Black Kings and the, the, the character just to give myself a bit more range on deployment. I think I played this game really, really well. I think one of the biggest mistakes maybe I made was I gave him first turn and Kragnos and both of the Stonehorns got into my Great Unclean one and centre line. I lost my Great Unclean one turn one. Uh, did the classic, like, putting half to two-thirds of the wounds back on all of those models individually that they then went away and healed up over the course of the next four turns. Um, so I couldn't do it in the end. I did okay on scoring, though. I scored, like, 3-1, 3-1 primary. I got all four of my battle tactics until I was tabled by just playing cleverly. So up until right at the end, I think, like, going into round four, it was, like, 18 to 16 to John or something, and then he just sort of managed to wrap up the rest of my stuff and uh, take my battle tactic off of me and score his. So it ended 26-16 to John. Really, really fun opponent. I would happily play him again at anything. Like super, He's not a fan fun. of dwarves, though. I came and had a chat with him at the end, and he was extremely anti-Caradvon Overlords. It would be yeah, he did. He did seem to have a chip on his shoulder about that, but you know that's based. Fair enough. 
Yeah, based. <laughs> Sorry, Laura. Carriage on overlords are cringe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, I've probably taken a little bit longer than I should talk about that. But really fun game, great opponent. I lost again. Nice. It's one and three at this point, so I, I'm off the podcast. <laughs> uh, so my game four was against a gentleman called Kieran Harper, who's playing Cruel Boys. He had Gobby and... 30 gut rippers, a couple of units of hobgrots, nine bolt boys in like a six and a three, a sludge raker, a shaman, the my brute trogoth, and it's just a lot, isn't it? You just read off like a fucking load of units and stuff because all of it list. All of it costs a hundred points. He had the malevolent maelstrom and he had the, the the only thing that really confused me in this list was he had the Slogoth, which doesn't feel like it does a lot in this army. But so this was this was a game of two halves. It was if you came to the board in the first two turns, it looked like I was losing very badly, and if you came to the board from turn three onwards, it looked like I was stopping him. <laughs> and that is kind of what happens. So that he did a really clever play turn one, which was he knew I would have decision on how to go first, and I outflanked my Colonel Hunters. And then he sneaky tricked. He's got an ability to redeploy one of his units, and he did it with his Bolt Boys, and he put them into such a range that if I gave him first turn, they would be able to shoot into the Spirit of Durthu. Obviously, I do not want to lose Durthu turn one, and he was probably angling to get the potential double turn, and that's what happened, is I took first turn to stop that happening, to kill those bolt boys, he then didn't get the double. Uh, this, two funny things happened this game that basically swung it, and I'll leave that back rep there. I won, spoilers, and I think I tabled him in the end as well. Uh, but the, the two funny things that happened were his I summoned a tree in my first turn, but failed to do anything with it because I, I failed by sp- other spells. Basically, he then took his cruel boys battle tactic, which has have every unit within three inches of a piece of terrain, and his brain genius way of achieving that and skills still scoring um, objectives was to use my tree as that piece of terrain which meant he had about five units uh, clustered around this one tree and then when he failed to get the prio and i got my prio that was the uh, just a gigantic warzong bomb so like i picked <laughs> i picked up his shaman i, I blew up load of gut represented like half gobsbrack's health i just like I ripped oh. the heart out, like so much damage from just in that one bomb also the very funny thing that happened was pr- prior to that gobsbrack was already damaged because he'd cast maelstrom moved it up the board then run behind it with gobsbrack then shot my dryads not expecting to kill many killed like the unit which sucked for me, but it was hilarious because that set Maelstrom off and then it blew up in Goldsbrack's face. And he took like three <laughs> mortal wounds from Maelstrom going off in his own face, which is very funny. Uh, he's like, oh, I didn't think I'd do that much. He's like, okay, they are only dryads. <laughs> his other move was, so he felt like, so he was actually outscoring me early on because I had my turn two, I scored zero primary points. Basically, I didn't take a single objective because I failed five nine-inch charges which meant I ended up on no primary. And he was like primed, then just like doubled me off the board. But he made a pretty big mistake, which was his plan was to charge his general in to the Spirit of Durthu and charge his My Brute Trogoth into my Colonel Hunters and then use Cruel Boys War 
to fight with all of them before I could fight. And then if he gets the double, he basically tables me because I don't have anything left after that combination. What, we should, what he forgot was, and I had reminded him of this at the start of the game, and I, I guess I could have reminded him again, but at a certain point, you do have to remember, a Tree Lords has an ability to make you strike last on a 3+. So Dethu made his general strike last, he could not war, so he killed like two Colonel Hunters with his Maya Brute. The Colonel Hunters then killed the Maya Brute, and then Dethu cut the Sludgeraker's head off. Uh, did like 27 damage to it, just like fucking murdered him. And at that point, uh, that's kind of it. Right, so he did then not get Pryo, and Dethu just cleaned up basically the rest of his army solo, just killed it all. Um, and that was the game at that point. We played it out to the very end, so I offered him to like talk it out if he wanted, but he was like, no, I like playing it out. I was like, cool, that's fine, let's do it. Uh, nice. And it, it, got, it got him a battle tactic we probably wouldn't have talked out. So uh, yes. we had loads of time, so again, maybe that's a, a little cheeky tip for you there. It's, even if you feel like you've lost, maybe you can squeak two more points out of it. And uh, we had a fun time doing it as well. Mm, you nice. just have to sort of switch your vibe. Like, okay, I've lost, but what can I get out of it? Yeah, absolutely. So that was 3-1 after 4 It acts. did. That's... It's so my game for... I want to talk about just because it went... It was a game... I was playing Daughters of Cain. It was a chap called Tom, who I think I played... Uh, previous year's blackout he was very nice and when i saw i'd been drawn into daughters i was quite optimistic i suppose i think caradron are reasonably good against daughters and what actually happened is i got absolutely thumped and it was my worst defeat of the event so i thought i'd just talk about how quickly it went wrong maybe you can tell me what i did wrong so his list he had two big units of blood sisters the fighty snakes he had two units of ten rich elves, he had some doomfire warlocks, he had a cauldron of blood, he had a blood rack medusa, he had a gladiatrix, which is a little hero who buffs the rich elves, I think, uh, and he had two units of the kinerai. This was definitely the game in which I most wished I had choice of turn, I think because essentially most of my shooting has about 12-inch range, so if I want to do anything to him, I have to put my boats near enough to his army that his stuff can potentially get into me. So he set up with his uh, with the Rich Elves and the Doomfire Warlocks screening his army, essentially. So he had the Rich Elves down the sides of the deployment zone, the Doomfire Warlocks were sort of across the front. Um, he took one of the units of snakes off the board, because it's a scenario where you can do that, and he had the other units sort of in the middle at the back. Uh, so he gave me first turn, I moved the Archonauts up onto objectives, and then I decided I would try and kill things, so I moved the boats in to focus on his left corner, essentially. So I moved, the, I'd set up the frigate so that I could move it up, and then I can teleport one boat, so the Ironclad teleported in. And my battle tactic, I chose a Caradron Overlord one, that means you have to kill a unit before anything else has died. So what happened was I moved up the frigate and he redeployed the Doomfire Warlocks and got a six. And that meant that he could push his screen out. And that really hurt me because at that point, the Ironclad has to teleport in at the end of the movement phase. So it then couldn't get as close to the rest of his stuff because the Doomfire Warlocks were further forward. So I had to put it sort of, further, I think I put it further out on the flank, but it did hurt me with positioning because I wanted the Ironclad and the frigate right next to each other so they could sort of screen each other. And it made that harder. And then the thing I, the, sort of choice of targets on that flank was the Doomfire Warlocks, a unit of 10 Rich Elves, or the Cauldron of Blood. And I decided to try and kill the Cauldron of Blood because I wanted to kill something meaningful. And as it turns out, 
that didn't work out. I'm still undecided as to whether it was a mistake. I could just have wiped his screens. Maybe that would have been a better choice. What actually happened was I started shooting the frigate and the riggers in the frigate into the cauldron and they riffed completely. Like, I think if I'd had a good turn of shooting, it would have been fine. But obviously sometimes in Warhammer, you don't have a good turn of shooting. So they didn't put enough runes on it. And at that point, because my battle tactic relied on killing a unit, I had to kind of decide what am I committing to killing? And the Raider Doomfire Warlocks were positioned. If I'd shot them with anything that wasn't the Ironclad, he could have taken off casualties such that they would then have been out of range. So I had to shoot them with something that I could guarantee would kill them. And that was the Ironclad. So I had to put the whole of the Ironclad shooting into this unit of Doomfire Warlocks, which they did absolutely, it did absolutely murder. <laughs> but then it left me, I ended up sort of take, I think I put eight wounds on the Cauldron of Blood or something like that, which, and he's got a lot, he's got a healing prayer and things. So over the rest of the game, it then healed up. So it ended up being a really ineffective first turn where I put my army at, at risk and only killed a screen. The other thing that went really wrong was that my navigator tried to do the thing where he can half the move of a bunch of units, but in, he didn't, he only rolled one one, so I could only pick one unit to try and debuff. And if they shrug the mortal wounds, they don't get debuffed. So I picked the big unit of snakes. I only did D3 mortal wounds, I rolled one, and then he made his ward save. So I oh. wasn't able to reduce their move, and that ended up really hurting. So then he moved everything up. He moved his, most of his stuff sort of moved up to get onto objectives and threatened my Archonauts, but he moved a big unit of snakes towards the boats. I tried to redeploy the frigate to make the charge bigger when I rolled one. Then I think he baited out Unleash Hell by charging a unit of rich elves into the ironclad and they died. But then he charged the snakes into the frigate and got a massive charge. I don't know how long it was. It was probably 10 inches or so. Then he made it. And then he was very clever and brought a unit of Kenurai charging in the back to wrap the frigate, which means that if the frigate dies, I can't disembark the stuff that's in it and so all the stuff that was in it died as well and the snakes killed the frigate very easily they're very good at it because they can do a lot of damage they also do a lot of mortal wounds which i don't have against so yeah the frigate and half my army died turn one at that point i think i was probably pretty stuffed i think i then won priority into two but couldn't do much with it i think i max scored but the ironclad completely whiffed into his snakes and just barely killed anything he had mystic shield on them and they were getting a buff to save from the cauldrons so i think they were saving on fours which was tankier than i had hoped they would be and that mm. hurt me a lot and then on his turn he brought the other snakes on charged into everything and just murdered my whole army so yeah it was kind of it was a bit of a saga of just lots of small things going wrong and really adding up but it was I was quite disappointed because I thought I would have had a chance going into the yeah. game with just how badly it went wrong. I had to go and have a very grumpy walk around the shop at the end and try and get my head back into a frame of mind where I could <laughs> talk to people without just being too grumpy to... You know, it, was, it wasn't... It just happens sometimes, doesn't it? You get disappointed when you lose a game. It does, yeah. But, yeah. I'm, about to, I'm about to experience that myself. So. <laughs> but he played really well. Like, I, you know, he didn't make any mistakes. He knew exactly what his army did. He knew and he picked up enough about what my army did very quickly to figure out how to counter it. So, yeah, fair play to him. So that meant I was 2-2 going into the final game. Everything to play for. Yeah. So let's try and run through our last round pretty quickly, if we can, maybe. Matthew, do you want to go first, having just trailed your experience? <laughs> yeah, so this is a game I'm going to die mad about. So uh, game five was... It was... The game plan that is called... I've written it somewhere. Every step is forward. 
Um, so it's lots of objectives, I think it's six, four? Yeah, six objectives. Six objectives. If you charge onto them, you count as an extra model, and then yeah. you can't hold an objective on a turn when you retreat. Yes, which, again, didn't really come up at all this game for me. He was playing Osiok Bone Reapers, so he was playing Noel Myriad. This is basically like capital T, capital L, the list. So it was Catacross, Soul Mason, Bone Shaper, six Mortis Guards, six Mortis Guard, five horses, five horses. That's the army. Slightly frustrating in that his army's ability to just ignore Warsong Bomb on a two plus is a bit of a pain in the ass, but. Actually, the scenario sort of pulled his army apart enough that I did get some bombs off and they were relatively useful, so I didn't feel too bad about that. This game is very, very similar to game one in that I sort of couldn't really interact with his army. So over the course of the game, I killed six Mortis Guard and five horses, and he killed most of my army. But it was still incredibly close. So essentially, by battle round five, he had outscored me on primary... I had outscored him on battle tactics, so he had dropped one I had not. And going into round five, I had priority into that last turn. And essentially, I had a play to win the game. Uh, it, it turned out at the end of the game, I had two paths to victory, but I only saw one. So I took a bait the trap, which was, which is a battle tactic to retreat two units, charge two units. I had spirit, like a crippled spirit of death who in combat with Catacross and a something else, like a tree lord maybe in combat with something, who was going to be of no consequence to the actual battle. So that was very easy. I retreated those two units out. I set up Colonel Hunters to just charge into his army. And then the main important charge for me was how I was going to win the game, which is we both had the same grand strat, which is spellcasting savant, keep your keep a specific general wizard alive. I ensured that mine was completely impossible for him to score, but the teleport that I had pre-measured was completely out of any threat range he had with the Warsong Revenant. So he was com- completely back at the board. There was no way, even like with his plus three move, big charge, it was, it was impossible for him to score that. So I knew that was in the bag. And I teleported my tree lord ancient in such a way as he then had a nine inch charge into his soul mason, who was his um, unit here to keep alive. So essentially, if I made the charge and then killed the soul mason, I score my battle tactic and I take away his grand strat. And it is mathematically impossible for him to win the game at that point. Because I'd also be scoring an objective, so I'd, I'd I think I'd be two points ahead. I, I we'd worked it out. So I made the charge go in. I did I think the wrong monstrous rampage. I did stomp because free it's free real estate. But I like two mortal wounds. I should have roared anyway. He made all of his saves. <laughs> Soul Mason's weirdly tanky with like plus two to save. He was like finest hour and all out defensed and the Catacross buff. So he just made all of his saves on th- three ups. I think he was on at that point. So his his character lived, and the thing I didn't notice that he pointed out to me after the game was he didn't actually have any battle tactics left he could score. And this would have also won me the game as a minor because we'd have been on the same points and I'd have won on battle tactics scored. As when I charged my Colonel Hunter in, I charged it into a little wizard. Had I instead just suicided it into his Immortus Guard or something else, 
that would have been fine and I would have won the game because it would have died. But it did not die and thus he also had bait and trap. So he, he retreated with the Soul Mason and he retreated away from the Colonel Thunder and then he charged two units in and won the game. So that, I was not mad about the game because I could have gone four and one. <laughs> but, but I didn't. I went three and two. Oh, I hadn't realized it was so close to the end. It sounds like it was a really good game. It was incredibly close, yeah. yeah. Incredibly frustrating game, actually, because I, I felt like I had to play so much fucking harder than he did. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> he was That's just pushing, it, guard he was, for you. He was pushing <laughs> it down the middle, basically. And, and that was, yeah. yeah. Well, had you won the game, none of us would have gone three and two, and then we would have had to have mm. changed the name of the podcast or something. So it was for the best. Okay, I'll take that. Which do you want to talk Noble about? Your game five. Yeah, go for it. So, game five. Scrolling to the right page. Uh, I was playing a lovely chap called Will. It was his first tournament with his ogres. So I played ogres again for the third time in a row. Uh, this time, I don't know. I was, I played over half of the ogre lists that attended this tournament. Put it that way. So. Yeah, this was, he was running like a more shooty underguts army, so he had the sort of classic Tyrant, two Iron Blasters, a couple of units of Lead Belchers, some Gluttons, and some Noblars, the little guys. Oh, and some Iron Guts, very killy. Um, this was, yeah, every step is forward, so quite a wide territory and deployment. The thing I really struggled with in this game was holding it enough to score max on primary with the speed of movement of my stuff because the mm. objectives are quite spread out. You basically have like a zigzag line between your two territories. The objectives follow, and it's quite hard to get stuff on all of those. And, and in one of the in one of the zigs, you get about three inches of deployment zone. Right, it's, it's tiny. Yeah, it's tiny at the back. So I stuck a unit of light kings there to like challenge that objective. Not a huge amount to say about the game. It was a fairly back and forth standard game of Warhammer. Ultimate crime for me, underestimating the power of his shooting. So I dropped my flies in his back line after his turn one. And with the intention of... <laughs> uh, with the intention of having them like actually not charging with them and sitting them in the back corner, like the unit and the character so that then if I got the double I could easily score surround and whatever the battle tactic is called for having stuff on table edges mm -hmm. um, which I'd sort of deployed one of my units for he got the he sort of denied me the double which you know statistically more likely to happen than not so he then basically poured as much shooting as possible into Lord of Afflictions and just killed it. So but the rest of the game then from the start of turn two onwards, I was down a command point every turn, which really, really starved me of like ability to do things, surprisingly so actually. Yeah. And then yeah, effectively like struggled. I did chew through quite a lot of stuff. The great and clean one, like <sighs> I really, really wanted to get the suffocating grave tide into the unit of twenty noblars because that's just the dream, right? Killing like about seven of them with an endless spell. He put quite a lot into unbinding it. So Grand Clean One waded in and killed them all. And then killed 
half of the iron guts, and then the two remaining iron guts killed the great and clean one from practically full uh. health. They they got it mostly done, and then he reminded me that their war scroll ability is no longer to have like a bravery buff and a hit buff. It's to fight twice at the end it's of the different. phase, which you know it's on me for not remembering that because I have no have slash had an ogre army. But uh, yeah, so they then killed the great and clean one. My stuff just like slowly died. I chipped a lot of stuff down. I got a couple of like very well planned like kill more things than lose in this turn to get a Nurgle battle tactic and stuff. So I chased some score back at the end. But yeah, he ended up being me. We taught we got to the end of turn four, at which point we hadn't realized we'd timed out because I think you know it was my last game of the tournament. It was probably a bit slow and Will's first event. But, you know, it never felt like either of us playing slowly, but we timed out <laughs> and Tomlin appeared at our table to be like, the game is over now. <laughs> so we had to really quickly talk through turn four and battle and like battle tactics for that turn and grand strats. And I think if we played it out, I could have swung denying his grand strat because basically if I'd got to turn five, I could have summoned a great and clean one in the middle of the board, which absolutely would have denied his grand strat and probably would have got my my grand strat as well which then would have put that score on 18 to 20 in his favor and so then we were like a battle tactic and some primary scoring in that turn away from yeah. potentially winning it but we had to talk it through really quickly and the one thing we did do was roll priority and he got priority for the turn which i think changes things massively because he probably could have killed the character that could have summoned so yeah, another loss for me to the Ogres, but you've had quite a few really close ones though. That doesn't always necessarily tell like the story of how you've done. Yeah, right? the score, the score I find in this GHB, like the end of the game, it will be like eighteen seventeen, and then you do like the last round of scoring that you've had to talk through, and the grand strats, and suddenly it's like thirty fifteen or whatever, like. Yeah, they all felt winnable to some extent, apart from maybe my game with Hazel, because she's just clearly like a much better player than me. But uh, yeah, like ended on one and four, which is not what our podcast is called, but uh, you know, the only way it's a up. legendary score. I think I went two and three last blackout, so that is a downgrade. <laughs> and Laura, tell us about your game five. Yes, my game five was about was against Solvite Grave Lords, so it was the list that Richard just avoided in game four. So it was Manfred, a vampire lord and zombie dragon, necromancer, little vampire lord, and then various units of summonable things. My opponent was a nice guy called Damien. I think he might have been another of the Plymouth Troll Slayers group. He was there with his son. And he needed to beat me to not do worse than his son. And he did beat me, so he did okay. <laughs> so... He castled up in a corner, which was much more defensively than I'd expected him to play. And I think he could have done a lot more with his list, but his game plan was basically just to murder me with magic, which was successful. So I probably shouldn't criticise his game plan. So I, <laughs> because he had castled up, I had quite a lot of board control. So I did fine on scoring for the most part, but I couldn't really do any damage to anything meaningful without you know, going right into the middle of his castle, which would have been a terrible idea. So I was kind of trying to 
you know, he brought various bits of chaff up from the grave and things. So I was sort of made, competing with them for objectives, I suppose. Really struggled to kill them. We had a unit of 10 skeletons that just would not die. We did figure out afterwards that there'd been, I think there were some minor rules errors that went in his favour around sort of ward saves and exactly what save rolls should have been and things. But I don't think that was game defining. I think if I'd killed the 10 skeletons, I would still have lost the game pretty heavily. So not too worried about that. So the big factor was the magic. So we had the teleporting vampire lord with um, Merciless Blizzard thing that Matthew Got explained the blizzard earlier. Wizard. He also had a lot of other mortal wound spells, essentially. So this is the first game I played with this GHB where I really did feel, you know, the whole wizards are really good now, they can do all this stuff. So I had two unbinds in my army, or three if I take uh, heroic willpower for my heroic action, and he had, I don't know, probably something in the region of eight to ten casts. He it was a lot of casts, maybe not that many, but he, he was doing a lot of spells. Okay, it can't be that many. Hang on. He had Manfred, who's a double caster, right? He had the Vampire yeah. Lord and Zombie Dragon. He had the Vampire Lord, who I think was a double caster. Nope. Single cast on a Vampire Lord. Unless, uh... unless he's going second, then he gets the second spell. Maybe that's then... probably what it was. Yeah, probably what it was. Uh, he had lots of spells. That'll happen. Yeah. So... Yeah, basically what was happening was he was trying to cast Merciless Blizzard on my Ironclad every turn. Uh, I think the first turn I... Oh, he also had an ability that meant he got an extra... He got a chance of getting an extra primal dice every turn. It's and he Italian, right? Yeah, I think so. And he got it every time. I think there's a three plus roll, but the dice favoured him. So the sort of odds were more in his favour when he was trying to cast. So I think the first turn I unbound Merciless Blizzard. The second time he had a primal miscast, but it didn't kill his vampire lord. And then the third, his third hit turn, he all his magic worked. So he had what's it called Spell Gale, something Gale. On his spirit his, gale, spirit gale. That's the one uh, that has a chance of doing two mortal wounds to everything on the board if he casts it on a natural nine plus. I think so. That went off a few times. He had the maelstrom. He had another. Manfred had some kind of mortal wound spell. Yeah, and he had Mercer's blizzard. So he did twenty mortal wounds to my ironclad in one hero phase, and it died. And at that point, I. I I was struggling to come back from that really at that point. I didn't have anything that could really kill his zombie dragon or Manfred. So I gave up board control and then I can't remember exactly what happened, but I think it became very clear he was just going to kill the frigate in a similar style and it all went horribly wrong. So yeah, it was it was interesting to see what a really magic heavy list is like with this GHB, but I honestly don't think I could have done a lot against this list. I would have, I guess what I should have done maybe was just really, really commit to killing the Vampire Lord early on. But to do that, you know, it was literally sitting in a corner of the board behind everything else. So I would have lost a boat for doing that, I think. I could have sent a sort of suicide squad of Endrin Riggers or a boat in, but I'm, then I'm trading off very badly. Um, and I think I struggle to have an answer to his zombie dragon if he brings it out and actually gets into combat with it and starts fighting me. So yeah, it just felt like a really tough matchup. But it was interesting to see. So, so yeah, having been 2 0 up, I went 2 3 <laughs> for the event, which was slightly disappointing, I guess. But yeah, it was fun games. So, I think we all had fun games, right? Sorry, Laura. Yeah, Yeah. I think we did. I don't think any of us had a game. I feel like we either, you know, none of us came away from a game going, gosh, my opponent was a cheating bastard and I hated that whole experience. No, it didn't play any corn players. (laughs) It's becoming a bit now. Sorry, corn players. So I guess if we touch briefly on sort of final placings, Matthew, I think you came 25th. 
which is pretty yeah. good. Yeah, near the top of the three teams. Top quarter. The, the top, but yeah. I was 69th and Richie yeah, were 95th. That's nice. Um, <laughs> nice. How much longer have we got left? We've got about 15 minutes. Do we want to reflect briefly yeah. on sort of how we found it, what we liked and didn't like about our lists, that kind of we thing? Can, you could say that friend of the pod, Chris, was 47th with his Konami, which is bottom of the 3 twos. So it's quite a wide 3 2 gap. But we, yeah, we'll claim that 3 2 for the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Matthew, what were your thoughts on your list and how it did? I'm so fucking mad I didn't go for one. I just... <laughs> yeah, I thought. I thought I'd get less mad over time, but I'm not. You know what? There's nothing really I'd change with that list. It's about as optimized as that army can get without changing fairly radically. There were lots and lots yeah. of Sylvanath armies there, and they're all fairly different. I mean, it's the one thing that you pretty much saw in all, all of them was like Dirty Warsaw Rev and Tree Lord Ancient. I think maybe one person did have a Tree Lord Ancient. So there was someone, but you saw like variations within that. So some people had more Colonel Hunters. That looks like a fun version. I quite. I quite like having the Tree Lord and changing that list in any meaningful way would require changing sub-faction. So the sub-factions that I was running helped me a lot with magic. I was taking the magic stuff, so the 3d6 dropped the lowest to cast. It was mm, incredible. So good. So good. So and good. a re-roll right as well. And a re-roll. So that's really good for like forcing through the magic. And it, the other options they're also good but uh, again the list building i've been doing you have to start doing stuff like dropping the tree revs and tree revs are incredible so i don't i wouldn't feel good about that so there's maybe there's alternative builds i'd try out just for fun like i'd like to play with Dryker a bit just to see how she goes but ultimately i think this this list is about as optimal as it gets for me without completely changing it basically cool and it was fun. Like it's an army I'd been really struggling with in TTS. Like it sucks to play on TTS because the trees are a nightmare. It's a lot of finesse movement, which is a nightmare on TTS. I've been losing all my games. I was like, I've made a huge mistake with this army. But then I had, I had a lot of fun playing it. I think getting all those mistakes out of my system was great. The practice games felt really good. Whereas I think quite a lot of the time. Especially when I'm like Deepkin, I've played a lot. I don't necessarily get a huge amount out of the practice games I'm I'm doing, other than just like the normal vibes based gameplay I'm doing. So I came in with a lot better plan this time because I knew I needed it, and that worked really well. So I think I learned a lot this event actually, and I don't I don't know if I'll take it to my next one, but probably will. Cool. Oh, that sounds Ooh. really good. Yeah. Rich, how about you? Yeah. I don't think I would rush to take this list again. I think probably the only play, like, good play Maggot can maybe still have a bit of is, like, the fly spam. And I am absolutely not going to paint, like, eight more flies. Yeah. So just no chance. And, I mean, that's not a top tier army by any means like i, I think it it's fine. got legs but yeah i i played it i think pretty well mostly i wasn't confused about what my army was supposed to be doing the, my two main failings were like list building for the ghb a little bit i did make some concessions but also like deploying for battle tactics massively 
I, I could have made life easier for myself. It's certainly. so big in this this GHB. Yeah. You have to do it. And I, I say I that's part. Of... Don't, but... <laughs> that's part of the list building for it as well. Is that like at the start of the game, I have less than twenty models on the table with that list, so it's a little bit tight on some of the battle tactics because if you deploy like two units of Blight Kings really wide. Then, a depending on the matchup, or they've got a lot of running to do to get anywhere, but and you just leave a huge hole and like no screen in the center. So there are other things I would I could have taken if I had rushed and painted cruel boys. I mean, the best placed cruel boy player went two and three and came like eightieth or seventy sixth or something. So <laughs> not like I think I massively shot myself in the foot because I'm not practiced with that army at all. I did have a really relaxed time mostly through the event because I knew the army I was playing and I think that was really important. So this was also an army you threw together like a week before the event with no oh, absolutely. practice yeah. like so, yeah. So I hadn't practiced the list. I'm just fairly familiar with like the all the faction stuff. So but and being confident with that stuff I think helped massively and is not normally the case when I go into events for me. So I think that helped me just have a nicer time than I do sometimes. Uh, which really valued. So I came out that we had like super enthusiastic about AOS, which doesn't always happen with events for me. So, Rich, what you did was you played three ogre armies in a row and then sold your ogre army. <laughs> He's going to paint a new uh, ogre army. Well, know. yeah, this is because I thought long and hard about like what I would want to do if I did an ogre army yeah. and concluded that I wouldn't want to include any of the stuff that I had currently painted. So I just sold it as one lot. And at some point in my life, I will buy a load of stone horns. But <laughs> I you were about to say at some point in your life, you will hunt down some man in Canada and beg for your ogres back. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. But <laughs> the, yeah, like the other like nice reflections for me from the event was the standard of Painting was really, really high. There were 10 mm. beautiful, like, nominated armies. Didn't get a nomination, which I wasn't expecting with this army, because it's quite sort of drab, really, other than a few colourful bits. But I did get on the, the like, pre-shortlist for it, which I guess was about 25 people or something. So that was nice. That was my achievement. And looking at the scores after the fact, I did pretty well on favourite game scores as well. I think I was, like, 8th or something on that, which I'm pretty happy with out of. 100 people obviously like completely meaningless they don't give out an eighth place and looking at even if i'd had a favorite game vote for every one of my games i wouldn't have got the award because the person that got it got that and also managed to come like 20th or something so you know the tendency tends to be whoever's highest placed on the same score gets it because they managed to play better while still being nice so anyway yeah short takeaway from me basically i am happy to maybe like start trying to be a bit more competitive and think more about list building and sticking with things and practicing them because I would like to be good at the game, I think. So a three cool. and two eventually. Yeah. But uh, it's really good have... that, you know, maybe that despite going one and four, you had a really good time and you came out of it feeling enthused to play more. Yeah. Yeah. And close uh, games as well, right? Like you had yeah. one yeah, shutout. Like... Yeah. I, I could have gone three and two, I think, if I like with more practice or like better mm. deployment basically. So yeah. yeah. Not too bad. 
How about you, Laura? What are your reflections? So I think certainly immediately after the tournament, I was a bit disappointed having been 2-0 up to then go 2-3. and three. I think last year I went 1.5, 3.5, so I have improved, which is good. Yeah. Um, but sort of, I feel certainly like a week on, I feel better about it now. Like, I think I'm really glad I took KO to an event because I've been wanting to for ages and just been too scared of my ironclad breaking on the way. So, you know, I took it to an event. It didn't go horrifically wrong in a logistic sense. So that was nice. I'm pretty happy with the list. I think I would run a very similar list again. I probably wouldn't take the code right another time, I guess. Although I forgot to say earlier, I did have one game when I went through every footnote in my Caradron code. They're all <laughs> once per battle things. And I used all of them. One of them did almost nothing but I used it and it made me happy so that was I that was a triumph but having got that achievement I could probably now drop the code right and take another <laughs> gun holder or something I think I yeah. probably would take a battle regiment another time so I was really focusing on trying to take the second artifact but actually my second artifact which was it was a thing that can get rid of a ward save for one shooting phase it wasn't really it didn't really do a lot for me and I think being a smaller number of drops would be quite helpful. So I think I might try that next and see what that does. The other thing I need to figure out is my grand strategy. So I had one, it's called, it's a Caradon run called Rule Disguise, and it requires you to have a boat alive at the end and your opponent not to have a flying behemoth alive at the end. And basically what you do is you look at your opponent's list at the start of the game and you go, I'm going to get my grand strat or I'm not going to get my grand strat. And well, I don't there's really... on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think, I'd rather have something where there's a bit more play in it and it isn't just look at the lists and go yes or no. I know it's not quite that simple, but sometimes that is what happens. Yeah. So I think I might review options there and see what else there is. I think the worry I have for my list is I feel it doesn't really have an answer to the really, really magic heavy lists. Like I don't know how I beat a soul blight list that has lots and lots of zombies and lots and lots of spells and a teleporting vampire with merciless blizzard but, about to get faq'd out yeah i, I can say the, well, the solution to that is battle scroll i think yeah yeah we'll see. but yeah i would take here again i you know i, I feel like i played okay with them like i generally okay i've got really good battle tactics so it's quite easy to score battle tactics with ko but generally when i had enough units alive i was able to score battle tactics and when i failed to score them was when my army had been close to tabled or something which you know i guess there is less you can do about but i yeah. was pretty consistently scoring things there i need to get better at scenario scoring but that is not something ko excel at i think i basically put the same dwarves in every boats in every game and i probably need to be more flexible there and be thinking about which games the dwarves actually need to be in the boats and which games they'd be better off doing something else but sometimes it's just good to have a plan and stick to it and yeah. not waste time at the start of the game trying to figure out what you're going to do yeah, I mean that's that's the whole reason I planned out battle tactics in advance, right? Is for that just less thinking in advance. Yeah, and exactly. Less yeah. like analysis paralysis of just yeah. sitting there going, "What do I need to do?" Exactly. Also, yeah. it means that, a nice idea. You know, you, often my opponent will ask quite a lot of times, "What dwarves are in which boats?" And just knowing and having complete confidence, I am telling him the right thing and not getting confused is quite valuable because I wouldn't want to mislead someone and accidentally say, "Oh, this one's in this boat." And, find that they weren't so just having complete confidence i know where my unbinds are and where some of the abilities are and what i'm measuring from is is good right nice any final reflections on blackout it was good well done best on was really really a good, good event hmm. uh, i think we're all looking forward to brotherhood team event in january now yeah so yes yeah. nice to go to events with friends and hang out with the we'll dream a... team yeah find a new Cardiff pizza joint to we do try. yeah yeah hexagon pizza 
it averages out to a circle. Hell's Pizza. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, we don't have time for questions this week, so I haven't asked for them. But we've got some built up, so maybe next next month we can we can complete our backlog of questions and do some more. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? All right. Thank you very much for listening. What do we need to do at the end? We need to say thank you to Tiny Plastic People for hosting us. They do other podcasts too, and sometimes they write articles about things. You should go check them out. If you want to contact us, you can email the tiny plastic people at gmail.com, put something about three and two in the subject line. We don't get a lot of this in the email it would be fair to say so it'd be great to get one get in touch we're also on whatever twitter is called these days we are at 32 aos i feel like we started off posting quite a lot of coverage of blackout and then about halfway through the tournament we got tired and we forgot got sleepy but sometimes we do remember to put things there so give us a follow some really good selfies oh, oh yeah some excellent selfies if you want to see what we look like you can follow us individually on social media if you want to rich where can people find you you can follow me on i'm, I'm just going to keep calling it twitter on twitter at rich nutter i think or on instagram at rj nutter or on blue sky which i also now have an invite for so we will have a, a team invite at some point, I am at richn.bsky.social, which is a fucking miserable handle, but you can find me there. Is, uh, yeah. Basically, I use Blue Sky to shout in, into the void, so I probably wouldn't follow me. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, right. Carry on. Matthew, where can people find you? You can find me on X Hamster. I am Matthew CM Ward. Fuck's <laughs> <laughs> sake. <laughs> All right, and I am on Twitter and Instagram at scops947. Yeah, I think our intent is to set up the pod on some more social media platforms to diversify ourselves from the failing hellhole that is Twitter. So maybe by our next episode, we'll have done that. We'll see. My intent is to publicise a podcast. (laughs) Throwback, is that our first throwback? (laughs) I think it is, yeah. Oh, dear. All right. Okay. Uh, I think that's us. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.